God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this Transfiguration Sunday through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I get in my car and I head to the hospital. Any time of the day, it's at least a 45-minute to an hour drive if I take I-5 or 205 to a Portland hospital. When I get there, well, you know, these uh, Portland hospitals don't have the most convenient parking. It's a long walk from the car to the main entrance, and once I get in, it's another several minutes to, to uh, navigate the maze of elevators and hallways until I enter the most dreaded part of the hospital, for me anyways, the intensive care unit. Now this is the hardest part for me because I don't like pain and suffering. Who does though, right? But it just gives me weak knees. <laughs> As I walk past the intensive care rooms, you know, on my left and my right, in my peripheral, peripheral vision, I can see people lying in their beds in anguish. You know, sometimes they look asleep, but they always seem to still be in pain. It's like walking through a car crash scene. You know, I want to look, but I just keep my head straight, look ahead, until I reach my target, the room of the person that I've come to visit. When I get there, I see him, not what I expected. He's lying on his stomach with his arms stretched over the pillow, like he's 10 years old again, sleeping in on a Saturday morning. His wife is there. She's distraught, as you would expect, but I give her a hug and we pray over our friend and loved one, trusting in God's mercy and promise of eternal life. Of all the things you've called me to do in this document, this contract, you know, you know preaching, baptizing, giving you the Lord's Supper, uh, evening meetings, the youth group, the senior group, Bible study, Sunday school, now that's all important to me, but to visit the sick and the dying, I feel it's the most honored thing I can do for you. I'm honored that you would call me to be at your spouse's side or family member's side or your side in their last hour because it's, a, it's the time when all of this you know, however many hundreds of communions you've partaken in, the hundreds of sermons you've heard, your baptism, your service to the Lord, it all comes to its peak application when you're lying flat on your back or stomach in the moments between, you know, before being taken to heaven. I'm honored to be a part of that. And I feel useful to you. When it's my time, I'll need someone at my side to give me the gospel. Every time I visit the sick and the dying, I say to the family that's there, I don't know what a person without faith in Jesus Christ would do at a time like this. Yesterday afternoon, I baptized a two-year-old girl here, and the grandmother and I were talking beforehand, and she tells me, <clears throat> I don't know how people can raise children these days without Christ. I said, amen to that, sister. <laughs> I mean, how would you be able to sort through all the confusing messages, people saying things to you and your kids as if they're fact? 
without the Word of God to cause you to stop and say, hey, maybe we should take a look into that and see what God says about it. Since we have such a hope in Jesus, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. There are some things for us to consider in that verse from 2 Corinthians. Didn't Moses have hope? Wasn't he saved and isn't he in heaven now with God? Yeah, some, of you are sh- some of you are shaking your head yes. Well, yeah, he is. And he did have hope. But what's with this veil thing? Moses and Paul, even though they're separated by a few thousand years, both had ministries which glorified God. Moses' ministry was characterized by death. You know, there was a lot of, God said, do this, and don't touch that or you'll die. Paul's ministry is characterized by the Spirit, which is faith, knowledgement, and enlightenment, renewal of the heart and mind. Moses' ministry was a lot of condemnation, whereas Paul's is a ministry of righteousness. This isn't to say that Moses and the Israelites lived under a, a hateful God. He was very loving to them and saved their you-know-whats many times over. But the flavor of the Old Covenant was often the law. The law of God. I don't know about you, but I appreciate being a recipient of the New Testament as spoken of here by Paul. It's sweeter than the law. Jesus supersedes all that Old Testament system of law. He's the system now. Believe in Him. Be baptized and you are saved. Live a life thereafter of righteousness and peace that comes only from God. Let Him renew your soul and change you to be more like Him. Blameless and spotless. We won't be perfect here at the sight of heaven until we die and are taken to heaven. Then and there we will be perfect. But here we still sin. Is the veil then like a veil on a wedding dress? You know, is it to conceal something or or not show something? Well, sort of. Moses was concealing something. By covering his face, he was suggesting to Israel that the glory was disappearing from his face and also that of Israel because of their unbelief. Paul uses this to contrast what he's saying, that there's nothing to hide anymore. Proclaim the good news of Jesus boldly. Don't let it be hidden. But Paul uses the veil a second way to describe those who don't believe and are dying because of it. Those on the road to condemnation are blinded by the idols they prop up for themselves and so they don't see Christ. The solution to this is the open and bold proclamation of Jesus Christ through which light would shine into the darkness to enlighten people. Don't you find it interesting that Christians are put down by some people as unenlightened? You know, we're accused of being blinded by religion and and can't see the truth in things like science and social progress. 
But the truth is the Spirit gives us faith, which gives us freedom and enlightens us to see, the, to see God at work in nature and science and society. I'd like to know what you think of Paul's illustration of the veil. Should we directly apply it to ourselves as if our eyes are still covered by this veil? What do you think? Leo's saying no. You would be right, Leo. We've been saved through the hearing of the gospel and being baptized. The veil is not over our eyes anymore. And that's good news for us today. Paul found his motivation in the hope of a permanent and everlasting life in the glory of Christ. Look around you. I mean, I know we're sitting here just listening right now, but you know, you know what each other are doing. Our motivation today is the work of the Holy Spirit among us, giving us the same hope as Paul. It's the faithful ministry or it's in the faithful ministry that you've called me to do for you and it's the faithful ministry you carry out in your lives with the people you come in contact with and the things you do for your church and for each other and for your community. Unfaithful ministry is characterized by deceit and twisting God's word to make it say something it really isn't saying. Have you watched the program on A&E about Waco? Anybody watch A&E? Got cable? <laughs> or satellite? Yeah, A&E Network has, been, uh, has had a, uh, it's like a four-part miniseries on Waco. Now, you remember Waco, Texas, don't you? I mean, 1993 was, uh, it wasn't that long ago. You would have had to have been living on Pluto to miss the showdown in Waco on national TV. You know, our government and people of faith at war with each other. If you watched the, if you watched the thing on A&E, you may have been as astonished as I was to hear the Branch Davidian survivors say on record that they still believe their leader was Christ returned and how much they loved him because they loved God that much and that they wished they had died in the fire. They couldn't see that their leader was a con artist even at the bitter end. We say we would rather die than fall away from God when we're confirmed, you know, in, in the rite of confirmation. But do we really believe that'll ever happen? The Branch Davidians weren't confirmed in the Christian church, but man, they had faith. <laughs> the problem was their faith was in the wrong person. Somehow they didn't believe Jesus in the scriptures when he says he'll return the same way in which he left, in the sky. Beware the unfaithful ministers and ministries. This is what Paul is saying in our reading today. He proclaimed Jesus as Lord not for profit, power, or self-interest, but for the enlightenment and saving of those who would hear. In Corinth, in Rome, in Athens, all those places. 
Our own abilities and skills don't make us competent for the ministry of Jesus. Our competence comes from Him whose ministry truly gives life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we can even be bolder than Moses. See? We can be bolder than Moses who yearned to see the day of Jesus' arrival. Christ is one day closer to coming back in the sky and bringing on the last day. So may He continue to show you His love and compassion and prepare you and me not only for that great day, but also here now in the ministry He calls us to do. Amen. And may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.